Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm your host, Ian Fisher, and if I'm being honest, I'm, I'm sick of these fires out in the American West. Um, we're still gazing out the window at a really <laughs> hazy sky filled with smoke from fires up and down the Pacific Northwest. I've been refreshing the air quality index on my computer. Yesterday, Portland had the fourth worst air quality of any city in the world, uh, which is pretty surprising. We expect fresh air out here. So... Um, how are you all doing? <laughs> Even with the world in tumult, <laughs> of course, the, the show must go on. Uh, I hope you're all cozy wherever you're hearing us today, whether you're back in school or preparing for your very first day. On today's show, we're focusing squarely on the application. On our second segment, we'll be talking all about extracurricular activities and supplemental essays and how those things are related. In the financial aid corner of our show, we'll be talking about the academic requirements for maintaining scholarships in a segment on SAP rules. Don't know what that means? Neither do I. Join me in our final segment and we'll learn more. But first, have you ever wondered how best to package your story for colleges? Do you think about the ways to make your strengths absolutely shine with the right touch of sports and a little dash of musical creativity? When can you go a little bit too far with that? Joining me to talk about packaging applicants and over-packaging applicants is my colleague from from out east, former admission officer from Swarthmore and Johnson State University, Mr. Kenan Dick. Welcome to the show, Kenan. Thank you, Ian. It's great to be with you. Yeah, great to have you. And uh, uh, we're talking today about overpackaging, and I think this is one of the things that, when we even hear the word packaging from a parent uh, or from a student as it pertains to their application, I think sometimes we can get a little concerned. And and what is it about that term, or even you know, marketing um, as it pertains to a student that sometimes causes us to put our hackles up a little bit as counselors that are helping students with their apps? That's a really good question. And I think, first of all, you're on, I think you had that, that order correct. Um, it's usually parents where we get this kind of, of language from. Um, and I would say maybe 1% of students who are kind of that type A and really want to do this right uh, and make sure everything's perfect, they're the ones who often use this type of, of language. Um, but right. for the most part, the vast majority of students, you know, this isn't something that's necessarily on their radar. It's often coming from, from the parents and wanting to have the perfect application. And one of the things that I think is, is just important for parents and, and those that support the students uh, in this process is that at the end of a lot of these applications, the students can assign um, a statement. And that statement is going to say that this work and all the material that they've done for their application is their work. And so right. a lot of parents will look at this and say, you know, oh, could I have done this better? And the answer is probably yes. But as a 45-year-old, we kind of expect that you could do better in terms of, <laughs> of you know, presenting an application, right? Right. But, um, right? but this is supposed to be the work of a 17 or 18-year-old. Right. And so if it doesn't necessarily reflect that, then sometimes um, that's when it has gone too far. So I'll give you an example. Um, I remember you know, reading through an application, and 
uh, getting to this really beautiful resume. And, you know, it was a, in PDF format, and it had pictures and just this beautiful graphic uh, design throughout the margins. And I'm looking through the rest of the application, and I see that mom is a graphic artist. And <laughs> two and two go together, right? right. so it just created this level of doubt in your mind, like, is this really her work or is this mom's work? Yeah. And you don't want to create that level of doubt. Yeah. And I think some of the places we often see this, it happens all over the application and there are different ways. I think that, that parents think about this, but it is especially clear when you look at an essay that has been overdone, that's, that's over edited, over corrected, um, that the, the language just sort of doesn't f- seem like it flows so much. And as a reader of an admission essay, how do you, how do you react to that? You know, you're looking at something that um, is coming from a high school student, uh, but, but it doesn't necessarily feel like the voice of a high school student. And may, maybe it alludes to, you know, um, sort of popular culture that was popular 30 years ago um, or, a, you know, a turn of phrase or an expression that kids don't really use. Um, it's, it makes right. sense, but it doesn't feel authentic. Um, what's your reaction as a reader in that situation when you see something like that? Again, it, it kind of goes back to the, the question of whose work is this? And, um, and I think that there, there can be two ways that this comes true. I think that, you're, that one of the things that you're describing is when students kind of write these essays by committee, right? And they're getting uh, input yeah. from their uncle and their, and their aunt and their parents and their teachers and their guidance counselor. And everybody's, you know, providing this input and suggestions for what to tweak here and what to tweak there. And right. next thing you know, the student's voice is completely gone, right? And anyone who's written a report by committee knows that the quality of the writing usually isn't that very, isn't very good, right? Because it's just it's so many voices speaking at once, right? And so you kind of get this this sense that that that's what you're reading. So it just it doesn't feel right. Um, and again, if you're used to reading the language of seventeen year olds, it just doesn't feel right in that context. Yeah, and then there's I mean, the, the other situation that you find yourself in. And, and I was um, working with a student, and, um, and she brings in her essay, and it's nearly finalized. And I'm reading through it, and I said, wait a second, where did this paragraph come from? And she says, oh, my mom thought it would be a good idea to highlight this part of my experience and add that in. And I right. said, yeah, listen, Hannah, if I can spot this in 10 seconds, you can bet the next reader is going to as well. So if it sticks out that much, it's going to cause you problems. So we had to um, to kind of strip that out and reward it in her words, not mom's. And so it's the situations like that where you can kind of run into problems as well. Yeah. And Another I, thing I think that, that, I wanted to sort of add on that because I think that there are sort of moments where this tendency to want to package a student's application, what that does is it, it can lead advisors, even if the student's writing it, to say, hey, you've got to include this, you've got to include that, you've got to make sure you're covering everything here because you've done so much in high school that this application has to represent it all. And what that ultimately can look like is sort of a a Frankenstein's monster of an essay where you've got different concepts that are sewn together but don't really connect to each other. Um, And that, Mm -hmm. I think, is also a danger of thinking about, all right, how do I best package myself, leaves out the sort of core emphasis of an essay, which is find one thing that shares something that's really meaningful to you and let the admission officer learn about that thing in great detail 
rather than just rehashing the resume. Exactly. Exactly right. And and the Frankenstein essays are, are something that, that we you know we really have to be careful with too. And and oftentimes that's gonna come from that, you know, writing by committee kind of idea. Right. Um, but I think right. you know if if there's a there's a proper place for, for parents' input and and there's an improper place. And when when they're changing what the student is writing, that's when you usually across the line, and that's when parents um, or any type of advisor has to be has to be careful with it. And then yeah. you know if it's if it's just you know that you see oh well this word isn't used correctly or you, know, you might this sentence doesn't flow you might want to change that those are those are that's the kind of input that that is valid and and you should be doing um, helping students along. But it's when you're changing the message, when you're changing the voice, that's when you, students usually get into trouble. Yeah, I, I find that as an editor and an advisor, it, it's often best to be able to highlight sections and say, think about rewording this or choose a better word here. This is unclear. Those kinds of things, I think, are much more helpful because, first of all, it makes the student have to think about how to change that wording. And that's you know, mm-hmm. just a good sort of experience for a student to have to go through intellectually. But second of all, it allows the student, as they think about that, to put it back into their own words. When you start saying, oh, this is a better adjective here or cross these off and, and and sort of simplifying, you're doing it for the student, then they're starting to lose track, I think, of what their their voice kind of looks like. Um, right. Is there anything else that you wanted to add on essays? It sounded like you might have had an, another example of, of a place where students go wrong in terms of overpackaging on, on essays. Are there any other tips you wanted to add on that particular area of the application? I think the, the other part, and this can be with main essay, but it can also be with the supplemental essays where kids need to be really careful is that they they get to a point, um, and again, we get this more with parents and students, but they get to a point where they feel like they have to say whatever the admissions person wants to hear. Uh, so there's, yes. They have this belief that there's a specific thing, right, or a specific point that they have to make in order to make this essay work, or this uh, point that they're trying to make work. And that's where I think they can get into trouble as well. When... Colleges and universities, you know, when they're doing these information sessions and they're talking about, you know, the things that they value in the, in the process, and when you feel like the, the essays and the writing of that application is simply parroting all of that back to you, then you get nervous about who the real student is, right? So am I, am I just hearing kind of in, in an echo chamber my own information session, or am I hearing the authentic student who is a good match for us? And, yeah. and that's, again, where I think that, um, that things can get difficult. So, for instance, you know, reading an application and, um, and Swarthmore College is always kind of in need of engineering students. It's just not a college that people think of, of engineering right off the bat. And so they're always kind of looking for additional engineering students. But then sometimes what you get is you get a student who has all these activities and they're pointed towards, you know, um, government or history or whatever it is that they're, they're truly interested in. And then you see that they're, they're writing about the wise sophomore and engineering in an unconvincing way, and they're choosing engineering as a major. And you just sit there and you go, oh, you know, Where did this, come this from? is so transparent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so this, I mean, this raises... A valid... Go ahead. 
Well, I was going to say this raises a really interesting question, right? Because students, obviously, they have multiple colleges on their list. They might be applying to Swarthmore and Reed and, and U Chicago, which can be somewhat similar in different ways. But maybe they're also looking at bigger universities that have different things to offer. Um, mm -hmm. How should students think about packaging their application differently for different schools. I mean, I think there's a tendency to believe that you should tailor your application to each school uniquely so that you're pulling out all of the important components of what that school wants for your personal statement. And then you're you're tailoring it for another school, et cetera, et cetera. Is, it, is that something that is a, a good idea? How should students think about the, their whole college list as they put those pieces together? Yeah, and I think that there's a a degree to which that tailoring it towards the school is expected, right? Um, so certainly in the case of, you know, say the common application is a great example of this. And if you've got schools that are applying to using your SAT scores, then you provide those self-reported scores. And for the schools that are, that are test optional and you're not reporting, you're going to strip those out, right? So it's kind right. of an obvious way that you're tailoring your application to these particular needs. And to some degree, you can do a little bit of that with other schools and other aspects of your application. So for instance, if I'm you know, really into uh, student government and music, if I'm applying to maybe an Oberlin or a Rochester and I want to highlight the music more, I might take those extracurricular activities and move those up in the order of the activities chart. And then if I'm applying to University of Richmond, which values that leadership, I might move some of those leadership positions further up the chart. So there's things that you can do like that in that kind of instance where you can tailor it for those schools, but you're not wholesale changing the application. And right. part of what I think is so valuable about the common application is that you don't have to do that. So you don't have to change your essay to, um, to kind of tailor it for specific needs. It's, a, it's supposed to be a general essay that speaks to all those, those needs. So, um, so there are minor ways that you can tailor things, highlight different aspects of your experiences, et cetera, or your scores. But when you get to the point where you're changing essays, that is where I think you really kind of cross the line. The other piece to that is that you know, when the person receives it, it's clear that you've done that, right? Because you're not going to send an essay that says, I love Richmond to UConn, right? Right. So, um, so if you have that, specialized information in your in your essay will know that that's something that you created especially for us and that has a chance of rubbing the admissions officer the wrong way that's right that's right and you know I, i'm also i'm curious about um and we've got a couple of minutes left but I, this is all sort of related to the application you arrive at this point where you're putting the app together you're writing the essays you're listing your activities etc what about students that in their first or second year of high school are already being asked to consider the packaging of their application as they choose their activities and choose their classes and think about those things what's the danger of sort of choosing a high school path based on this idea of packaging a, a great app for a school. And we've got about 90 seconds, I would say. Sure. Yeah, and I think there's a real danger in, in doing that as well, because typically what um, students are doing and parents are doing is they are packaging it towards that information session that they just came from, right? So they feel like they have these needs, like, you know, maybe um, Swarthmore's engineering program, and they're trying to tailor all of their academics and their extracurriculars towards a specific set of needs. The difficulty with that is that those needs change. 
and you know, a couple of years from now, they may not need engineering applicants. Um, and the mm. kinds of things that we want in our mix can, you know, as an admissions officer, I never knew until we got the iPads report back and you know, mid-December, and the, and the um, president told us what they were looking for in that next year's class. So yeah. even in November, I couldn't tell you of the senior year. So, um, so I think it's important for them to be as authentic as they're as possible, and right. to flip it on its head. Instead of trying to tailor the kid to the school, try to tailor the school to the kid, and do your due diligence to find the schools that naturally match with who that kid is. And if you do that, then the authenticity will absolutely be there, and the natural match between that school and the kid will be obvious to the admissions officer. Yeah, that that word authenticity, I think, as it relates to preparing your college application is probably the most important thing. And and it is the the best place I think for us to end on. But you'll you'll hear that word brought up again and again in our conversations because that's really the space that we want students to get to is an authentic representation of who they are and what they have to offer colleges. That's usually going to create the most successful, always going to create the most successful application. So Kenan, I want to thank you for coming on the show and ending on that fantastic high note and, and sharing that wisdom with our listeners. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. My pleasure. All right, folks, when we come back, we'll talk about all the ways you can account for your extracurricular activities and supplemental essays, but of course, without the dangers of overpackaging yourself. So don't go away. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News. 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 News.
Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. Office hours are now in session. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about supplemental essays and their role in the application process. Over the course of the next few shows, we'll be tackling some unique essay supplements and how you can approach them to make the best case for your fit to a particular college. There's some really uh, unusual questions out there depending on the institution you're looking at, and we wanna make sure that we can walk you through those. But before we get into those details, there still are some broader questions around supplemental essays that we wanna talk about, and we wanna talk specifically about the role of extracurricular activities in your college essays. So joining me for that, Today, another one of our terrific experts from the Radner office. Kenan is also from the Radner office, the always dynamic Lauren Randall. Welcome back, Lauren. Hey, Ian. How are you doing? I'm doing great, and it's great to have you aboard the show. And and you actually, a couple of weeks ago, you were on the show with Sally and talked about uh, supplemental essays initially and just the role that they generally play in the process. Um, But I want to sort of start with... um, activities, lists, and essays, just broadly speaking, um, when is it appropriate for a student to decide to share an extracurricular activity as the subject, especially the main subject of a college essay? And and you can include a personal statement in this as well. We don't have to exclusively focus on supplements. Sure. Well, honestly, I think that it's at least a, a natural place for a lot of students to begin at least their brainstorming. I don't know that I've ever had a, uh, that I've ever worked with a student who didn't offer some sort of activity as, as a topic, as a potential topic idea. Um, right. and, you know, you, if they're not in class, what else are you doing? Well, they're extracurricular <laughs> activities. So, you know, it makes sense. I totally get it. Um, so I do think it's an appropriate place to, to start, at least for the brainstorming. And possibly yeah. it could be a great topic. I, I don't think that it's a problem to have a, an extracurricular activity that you've listed in that section also be a, a topic of, of, of an essay. But I think what what you need to get out of that essay um, is very different than what you need to get out in the activity to list. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's actually something I talk to students about when we do just a very initial brainstorming process. Um, I will ask them, you know, what are things that make you happy? What are you proud of? What are some things you'd like an admission officer to know about you? We've talked about that on the show in the past. Um, And some students will say, well, I want them to know that I'm a part of the Science Olympiad. And I'll tell them, well, Mm -hmm. that's on your activities list. They already know that. (laughs) They know that already. So check. We can check that box. Exactly. Now, is there something deeper, though, about the Science Olympiad? Is there something about your leadership that came out in a particular challenge you faced? Or is there something about your approach to studying for this that you want to share? So you've got to get to sort of those second-order questions. And when you think about activities list and and are helping students to figure out where best to share extracurricular activities – and I guess it's it's worth mentioning that there are a lot of schools that still have this 150-word essay where students say, what 
activity has been the most meaningful to you. Um, how do students go through the process of identifying the best thing to write about in that space? Sure. Um, and I, I worked at Georgetown University, and they still have that, that supplemental uh, short response, a paragraph or so about the most meaningful activity. Um, I, I think what you were saying about digging deeper, first of all, um, uh, the way when you gave that science Olympiad uh, example, yeah, the admissions officer doesn't need to get past the activity list to know what you do. So the way I think of it, what's the difference between the activity list and then what's the point they're trying to get at in that uh, what me- what's the most meaningful activity is the activity list for me is the what. What are you doing? It's the fact. Uh, what are your accomplishments, the number of hours? You know, it's, it's, it's the what, it's the facts. The point yeah. of the, of the, of a supplement there is, is the why. You can totally give me uh, the science Olympiad again, but I need to know why you do it, why it matters to you, how you've grown. Uh, if you just repeat the facts, of I do this and I spend a lot of time and it's important to me. Well, I didn't really need, uh, I didn't really get anything more from, from your response. Um, you know, I think it's important to, when, when you're trying to choose which, um, which activity, uh, is the most meaningful to you. Well, I know you just had a segment on this. Let's be authentic. Um, right. you know, right. I, I, a great example here is, um, so I worked at Georgetown University. Like I said, we had that, uh, that that very question, what what's the most meaningful activity for you? And it, Georgetown is all about um, service to others. They they broadcast it everywhere. So the student wrote about how important volunteering is, and specifically um, working with the a blood drive. Well, they had listed it on their activity list, and they did it for one hour once. So I was like, well, is that really the most meaningful to you? So I think that, you know, first of all, you have to be authentic in your response. Yeah, I, that's that's huge because, and I, th- I think students sometimes overlook that, is that you've got this essay. You've also got their activities list that says how many hours they've spent doing that thing. Um, you've also mm-hmm. got the order of the activities, which asks, you know, list these in order of importance to you. And so if you're choosing something that's sixth or seventh down that list, it doesn't necessarily dovetail with what you've put in that activity section. And I also think it's, it is important that colleges want to know what is actually meaningful to you. Not only does it make for a better essay, ultimately, but it helps them to know a little bit about what kind of contributor to that community you might be in college. And Georgetown's a great example. Mm-hmm. Service is a big part of what they do. They're going to be bringing in a lot of students who do service, who care about service. And mm-hmm. maybe your interest in the tuba is unique and makes uh, the mm-hmm. academic life and, and extracurricular life at Georgetown more rich because you've got that to offer your community. So authenticity, I, I think, is always really, really big when it comes down to this. And, and it's good to hear that echo. This is something we talk about a lot um, at College Coach when we work with our students. Um, I wanted to also ask you, you know, admit, go ahead, go ahead, Lauren. Yeah. Yeah, no, I just had a thought here, though, because we're, we're, we're saying you, know, you need to be authentic. So what if it is uh, that the tuba is the most meaningful activity for you? And what if you had already written your main essay mm-hmm. about that and didn't realize yeah your school is going to ask a supplement about what is your most meaningful activity. So I guess I have a question for you. Have you ever seen that, Anne, where a student, can, can they do that well? Can you, 
can you pick to write about the tuba in both spots? So if we're saying be authentic and the tuba is the most important thing, you know, how do you, how can you write two essays about that? Yeah, I, w- I would almost think about it like you've got a little parentheses there in that question that says that you haven't already written about. Um, you know, our, our mm-hmm. colleague Christine likes to say that when you're putting an application together, you're really putting together pieces of a puzzle. And the admission officer gets an opportunity to put that puzzle together as they read through your essay and your supplements and your activities list, your letters of recommendation, et cetera. And so there, are, there will be some overlap with some of those pieces. Obviously, it's the same image that's being put together, but you don't want to replicate the same piece. And so I think if you've written a personal statement all about the tuba, then that's great. That that demonstrates that that's the most important thing to you because you've chosen to wrote, write that personal statement about that thing. Then I think you can choose something that might be secondary in that space because you don't want to cover the exact same content. Um, and this is something that students run into with the UC application as well because you have to do four personal insight questions and they often do overlap in some ways. You've got leadership, you've got contribution to your community and students might say, well, I do those both in the same club. And I think you have to be careful that if you're mm-hmm. going to talk about the same thing, you're not talking about them in the exact same way. Now, how do you advise students if they've got an, or, uh, you know, an experience that they've been a part of to think about the ways that their engagement with them have been different? Can, can you write two short supplemental essays on related topics or do they have to be wholly different from each other? No, I do think that they can. I, I think that some very strong applications as a as a overall uh, package um, can have some consistent themes. Now, writing exactly about the same activity, let's say science Olympiad and science Olympiad, I think that's going to be pretty hard to do. But, you know, here's a good example. I had a student who um, wrote their main Common App essay about um, the Philadelphia Museum of Art being their favorite place. Um, and what was it? About? Obviously, they're, they're very much interested in art and talked about their love of art. Well, then the most meaningful activity they wrote about was creating a mural in, in their school. So it was this, this, nice. this consistent theme of, of art in, in the student's life. Um, and right. I thought that was done really well. I've seen that. So I think if we step back and say, well, what is it my love of history? Is it my love of sports? Um, but talking exactly about the same activity, I think that's, I've never seen it done well. Yeah, it's, it's really tough. Um, it's, it really, I love that example of art because what it does is it shows that this person can be both a consumer of art and, and someone that appreciates art and a creator, right? So those are the two separate sides, Mm -hmm. even though they're technically the same topic, there are different elements of your personality that are coming out. And, you know, I'm thinking right now, actually, of a student I'm working with uh, who is applying for horn performance programs. And his personal statement is about the horn and his, uh, you know, his activity is the horn. I mean, he wants to be a professional horn player. So this is what he spends almost all of his time doing. And it's natural for him to write about that space. But we've got to think about you know, when it comes to that personal statement, it's less about I love the horn and do it and more about here are the qualities and characteristics that I've developed through my experience in music and then have other qualities and characteristics that are demonstrated in a different essay that asks a slightly different version of that question. So there can be some overlap and students shouldn't be afraid to go a totally different direction if the authenticity sort of leads them towards the same general topic. But I do think that they have to be careful that they're not using the same words and phrases and establishing the same takeaways Mm -hmm. with two separate writing tasks. Does that make sense uh, to you as well? It makes total sense to me. 
And sometimes it's hard to work through. I think you've got to bring in a counselor or a parent to sort of say, what are you learning about me from this? And is it different from what you're getting out of this essay? Um, Sometimes we run into some trouble with students, I think, where they, they look at extracurricular essays and they start to think, okay, I've got to try and cram as much stuff as I can into the essays that are being asked here. I have to find a way to attack this with... Um, you know, activities that I've been a part of or else colleges won't really notice. What's some of the advice that you give to a student that tries to shoehorn a bunch of activities into a a limited number of essay prompts? I would say start over. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, whenever whenever your essay reads like an extension of, of your resume, you think, oh man, I did not have enough space in my activity list, but I need to give more detail. So I'm going to use, I'm going to explain all of my activities to show, uh, my involvement to show, uh, my time management skills. Uh, you know, if that's your main takeaway, you've really missed the point. So, you know, I, I and we do <laughs> see it a lot. You, you get this one opportunity and you want to put your whole life everything you do into that essay, um, but it's just not an effective use of space. That's not what the admissions officer is getting at because then we're really not getting to that, that why element that, that I started off with. And that's all that matters to me is, is why it matters to you. Um, so, you know, just remember that, you know, sometimes one, one snapshot um, into your life is, is better than giving me uh, uh, lots and lots of, of little detail, uh, little sentences, I guess, that, um, that don't have much depth or meaning. Um, right. So, no, you're no, nobody's ever going to be able to put 17 years of life into an essay. It's just not, it's just not reasonable um, to do. So get it out of your head that, that, that that's your task. And if we think about sort of that that puzzle analogy, you know, it's never going to be the whole puzzle. You're never going to be able to share everything that you are and everything that you've done, but you've got to identify the more the most essential pieces, the ones that are most likely to contribute to an understanding of what that full picture looks like. And and that that makes means some some tough decisions. Um, Lauren, we've mm-hmm. got a, a, about two and a half more minutes, and I wanted to talk about um, we had discussed offline uh, some of the supplemental essay questions that ask about choosing a particular major and what you've done inside and outside the classroom that's connected to that particular area of study. Um, How do students think about leveraging their extracurricular involvement, whether it's research experience or internships, things of that nature, into that space? Is that a necessity? Uh, Should students steer away from those uh, kinds of things if it hasn't been a deep level of engagement? How should they think about that as it pertains to the major question? I I think that this is is a... um different uh, extracurricular response. Um, and I think that there is value in including your relevant experiences. Um, and I think if you don't, it's a missed opportunity. So mm-hmm. if you have background uh, experiences that show that you are a good fit for a certain major or have the relevant skills or care or even characteristics um, that make you a good fit, I think it's, it's, it's important to bring it in. Um, so, yes, I, I think students should, um, when they're looking at, you know, what do you want to major? What are your goals in college? Or what would, and why are you a good fit for this program? You do need to think about your background and, and demonstrate that. The entire essay should not be about 
your activity. It should be supporting evidence of why you are pursuing this path. Um, so I, I think students should step back before they answer that question and say, okay, well, what do I have to show? What have I done? Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, why does that make me uh, a compelling applicant for this program? You know, yeah, and I, mean, I don't want anybody to stress now and say, well, you know, I want to be a bio major, but I haven't done any lab research. You know, that's okay. They're not saying you must have done certain things. They don't right. expect a high school student to, to be an engineer as, yet. Um, so that's okay. But think perhaps about some skills you've learned. So, you know, if you want to be a doctor, um, but you spend all your time playing soccer, well, maybe there's an element of teamwork there or uh, right. precision in how you execute your drills. You know, there could be some really cool um, uh, traits and skills that you've learned from that experience that may, might be relevant. Yeah, and I, I love that idea of sort of stepping back and you almost do a brain dump before you start an essay like that where you're sort of saying, what are all of the things that I've done that are connected to this idea? And you can include reading that you've done. Maybe there are articles that you read online regularly that are connected to that particular area, read a book or a memoir that's connected to a, to a particular academic interest that you have. I think that sometimes students get sort of boxed into this idea that an extracurricular activity is a school-sponsored event that you're a part of on a regular basis. Right. And it doesn't necessarily have to be that. There can be other ways of engaging with an academic interest and in demonstrating sort of how you spend your time when you are not in class. That's ultimately what an extracurricular activity is, is time that's not in class, which I think is what you you led with as you came on the show. So, uh, Lauren, I want to thank you for uh, coming on and giving us a great introduction and, and a really fantastic conversation today. Absolutely, Ian. It's always great chatting with you. Thanks. Absolutely. So when we come back, we're going to be moving into conversation around financial aid and scholarships, and you won't want to miss it. So don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you ever given any thought to what is behind your insurance coverage? Many of us don't think of it as more than that premium you pay on a regular basis. Of course, until you actually need to use it. On CYA with Rhonda, you'll learn to cover your assets and find out what all of that insurance mumbo jumbo really means. If you're looking for a lucrative career option, Rhonda Lukey will explain how to get into the insurance business. Listen live every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. Now, before we get into our final segment, we're going to take a moment for another school spotlight. And today we're going to talk about Transylvania University. No, we're not talking about Romania. This is Transylvania University located in a beautiful college town just two miles away from the University of Kentucky. Now, Transylvania means across the woods in Latin, didn't know that, which was an accurate description for the heavily forested area where the school was founded back in 1780, long time ago. Today, the university enrolls just under 1,000 students, and it remains a top choice for Kentucky high school students seeking a challenging liberal arts education. The academic calendar is one of Transylvania's most unique features. Fall and winter terms are both 14 weeks long, while the May term gives students the chance to deeply engage in a single academic course, either on campus or abroad. This spring, students can spend the May term studying fine arts in England, world music in Costa Rica, or tropical ecology in Belize. Did you know that students can design their own course of study at Transylvania? Under the guidance of three faculty members, students with interdisciplinary interests can propose self-designed major that combines elements of at least two different academic departments. Some other fun facts to consider. Graduation is guaranteed in four years. 90% of students participate in some kind of community engagement, and 98% of students receive financial aid. In fact, students with strong GPAs and test scores are automatically eligible for merit scholarships worth between $7,000 and $18,000. Now, merit scholarships are definitely a huge attraction for students to any college or university, but they're not something you can just bank on for four years without keeping up your end of the bargain. And joining me today to talk about SAP and scholarships is one of our two finance experts way out in Rochester, New York, Tara Piantanita Kelly. Welcome, Tara. Hi, thanks, Ian. That was an amazing segue. Very nicely done. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. I lucked out in that one. But so we're talking about SAP today. And the first I had heard about it was when you sent me this very long email with all the information about it. So I I am an expert at this point, but we want to make our listeners and experts as well. So what is satisfact or what is SAP? And I got the answer here, but I want to hear you say it. So SAP stands for Satisfactory Academic Progress, and it's one of the basic eligibility requirements for a student to receive federal student aid. So like just normal stuff like you have to be a U.S. citizen or permanent resident, you have to be, you know, going to an accredited school, accredited program, things like that, but you also have to be making satisfactory academic progress toward the completion of your degree or certificate or program. So you can't just be in school, taking classes, dropping classes, failing classes, and just be there forever and ever and continue to get financial aid. So that's what satisfactory academic progress is. 
So, so why is this something that is important um, to students and, and to taxpayers in, in, in the U.S.? Yeah, well, I mean, if you think about it, federal student aid comes from taxpayer money. That's my money. <laughs> That's your money. That's all of our money. <laughs> That's my and, money. Yeah. You know, do you want to write? Yeah, it's your money. Do you want to keep writing a check to a, a kid who keeps dropping all of his classes and failing out of his classes? Um, I do not. No. <laughs> so, no. Uh, no. And the, the taxpayers don't want it either. So they say, yeah, we'll continue to give you this financial aid as long as you are meeting some certain guidelines as far as getting in out of your program. Gotcha. That that makes total sense. Um, now, what does this mean for a particular student? What are the things that a student has to know in terms of how they approach their academic program? And satisfactory is, for me, has always been one of the most nebulous terms. You know, who's def- what definition of satisfactory really is it? So uh, how can we establish some sort of baseline or benchmarks that students have to hit on this front? Gotcha, gotcha. Well, the, the Department of Education gives schools some kind of basic guidelines and parameters, but working within those parameters, the schools get to set their own policies. So one school's policy might be different from another school. So, you know, for any student who is, who is going looking at several different schools, check out their different uh, satisfactory academic progress policies and see what they are. Um, another thing that they would also want to take a look at, and this is not technically related to satisfactory academic progress, but it's related to losing money if you don't do well, and that is for students who get merit scholarships. Um, those usually come with some kind of string attached saying, you know, if you want to get your merit scholarship next year, you have to maintain a, a minimum GPA, and if you don't, you're going to lose your merit scholarship. Um, that's something different that a student should also look at because it's money losing money tied to not doing well with your grades. But um, satisfactory academic progress is much more far-reaching. It can, it deals with federal student aid and federal student loans and, and even other institutional need-based aid as well. So, you know, if a student is not doing well at the school, it would be a really good opportunity for them to, to go onto the school's website and then their little search bar type in satisfactory academic progress and see what those uh, what that school's policies are see oh gosh you know if i get if my cumulative grade point average drops below a 2.0 then i'm going to become ineligible for my financial aid including my student loans and how am i going to pay for college then or if i continue to you know if i register for four classes and drop two classes each semester, you know, I'm only completing 50% of the classes that I'm receiving my financial aid for, eventually they're going to stop giving me financial aid for that as well. So the schools look at a couple of things. They look at, they have two things that they look at. They look at the quality of the student's work, and that's based on like grade point average or how well are you doing. And they also look at the quantity and they see, okay, is this student progressing quickly enough and how they come up with that average is they take the total number of classes or credits that the student has completed and they divide that by the number of credits that the student has attempted. So if the student attempted 100 credits and has only completed 70 credits, then that student is only completing 70% of their classes. Mm -hmm. And if the school's policy says you have to complete more than 70%, then that student is in danger of losing their financial aid because they're not meeting that standard. I see. And that's really, and is that, so when the school is investigating a student's salary, I shouldn't say investigating, but verifying, uh, does that happen at the end of a term? Does it happen along the way? How, how can students sort of get updates on this? Do they have to wait till the semester is over? Mm-hmm. Yep, 
Absolutely. So as part of their policy, the school has to say how often they're going to check satisfactory academic mm, progress. Okay. Um, okay. It's always going to be at the end of a term, but some schools have to do it at the end of every payment period if they have a, a very short uh, program. Schools that are, you know, two to four years long, if they want to stretch it out to every year, they can, but no longer than that. If they want to check it more often than that, they can. It'll be written in the school's policy. Gotcha. And interestingly enough, so so Reed, where I went, is notorious for uh, not reporting grades to students. And so uh, you don't actually know your grades unless you ask to see them. And what you get at the end of your term is a little slip that says either satisfactory, which means you got to see or higher, or unsatisfactory, which is a C minus or lower. And it never just clicked for me for the very first time that this actually is probably connected to SAP, which is just to say satisfactory achievement or not. Um I don't know know if any of my listeners care about that at all, but that's a really interesting uh, thing for me to have realized um, now, uh, 10 years after having graduated. Um, What are some other things that families uh, should know about SAP, other things that they should be aware of on this front? Well, uh, if it looks like the student is going to lose their eligibility because of SAP, um, they should uh, do a couple of more bits of research. They should see, you know, does the school offer an appeal process for students who, you know, lose their um, eligibility due to SAP? Uh, If they do offer an appeal process, the appeal is going to have to include information from the student, number one, about why they didn't make SAP, and number two, what has changed so that they will make SAP by the next evaluation. Um, But again, that's only if the school allows an appeal process. Um, Also, they'll need to know, you know, does the school offer either a uh, financial aid probation term or a financial aid warning term where the student can still, you know, get their financial aid, but they have one more term and they have to be making satisfactory academic progress by the end of that term. Um, And then they should also check to see, you know, if you do lose your satisfactory, your, your eligibility because of satisfactory academic progress, what do you need to do to regain it? Mm, okay. So it's it sounds like, first of all, you just have to know what the school's policies are um, and, and just be aware of that at all times. But what are some other sort of best practices associated with maintaining your academic success over time? Just, you know, something that students can keep in mind as they're working through their college career. Yeah. Well, um, one of the things that I did with my daughter is just because I've worked in colleges for two and a half decades. But um, we took a look, we took a look at what her undergraduate program was, how many credits were in the program, and then we divided that by eight semesters because her school was a semester program. And she determined that with a, for a 120 credit program, she was needed she would need to complete at least 15 credits each term on average in order to complete her four year degree in four years. So you know, she, which which she did, but uh, that just doing that will give the student the goal of, okay, this is what I need to, to meet in order to get out in four years. Now, if there are some challenges along the way in one term, he only completes 12, and maybe he can make it, make it up the next term, or, or worst-case scenario, at the end of four years, he still needs to take another you know, semester or so, a couple of, of classes. Um, he can still do that, but he won't be losing his eligibility for financial aid as long as he maintains, you know, that that the goal that he originally set. Gotcha. That all makes sense. Now, there are, you listed out that there are some complications here, and there, um, you know, no student almost no student really goes to college and everything goes smoothly. There are occasionally ups and downs. You might be in a position where you have some academic challenges. You might even switch schools. So what are some things that people can think about as, as they run into those complications and, and making sure that they're still on track? Great question. So um, the school's 
uh, SAP policy has to include things just, just exactly like that. What happens if uh, the student transfers in some credits from another school? What happens if the student changes majors? What happens if, you know, the, the student takes some time off? Um, what happens if the student repeats the class? Uh, so all of that needs to be written down in the school's policy so that, let's say you're transferring into a particular school, you'll want to check check their SAP policies to see, okay, for the, the credits that I transfer in from my previous school, how is that going to affect, you know, the satisfactory academic progress at my new school? Or if you're thinking, gosh, I need to, to withdraw from this class or take an, an incomplete from this class, how is that going to affect my satisfactory academic progress? And am I going to lose my eligibility if I withdraw from this class or take an incomplete in this class? So that's right. all written down in the school's policy as well. Now, is are there people on campus that you can go to um, if, you know, if maybe you're not finding answers on the Internet, um, you know, doing a little bit of research? Who are some people that you can go and touch base with uh, on campus to make sure that things are in order? Especially, like, let's say you're considering, you know, do I withdraw from this class or do I take what I expect will be a very low grade in this class? Um, how, do you, how do you find somebody to help you to think about what the impact on your financial aid might be there? Ah, go right to the financial aid office and say and say exactly what you just said. I'm considering dropping uh, from this class, or I think I'm going to get a bad grade, or maybe I won't pass this class. What kind mm-hmm. of impact is that going to have on my financial aid moving forward? And they'll be able to tell you, like, exactly. If you drop this class, it'll drop your pace down to this, and it'll drop your GPA down to this. And based on what our policy is, you should be okay as long as you don't do it too often. Or they might say, you know, if you get an F in this class, that's going to drop your pace below what our um, policy says it can be, or it'll drop your grade point average below what our policy says it can be, and then you're looking at loss of eligibility. But maybe we have a warning uh, financial aid period that we can give you, or we Mm. can give you a a term of probation um, so that you can then bring it up. And then send them to someone who can actually help bring that GPA up. Maybe there's some tutoring available on campus, or um, find some way so that the student, when they, when they, if they do have that academic probation or academic warning for um, financial aid, that the, the last term where they have that, they get really good grades so that it does bring them up out of um, SAP, you know, purgatory and back on the straight and narrow. That's right. And, and you know, go to these financial aid offices. You're going to run into really lovely, well-informed people like Tara. Uh, it's not at all painful <laughs> to go and talk to them and, and hear what their perspective is. And, you know, I think this, this sort of reminds me of, of some overarching advice that I think um, is really great to impart on students before they set off for college in their freshman year, which is it is very helpful to make connections with adults on campus to talk to faculty members, you know, know what the grading scale is going to be before you actually get into the class, um, you know, into the midpoint where you're actually in trouble with your grade. Uh, Do the research, talk with the financial aid office about things like SAP, you know, know who you can go to when you get into some difficulty, talk to an advisor. That's all really, really helpful advice for students, regardless of what their challenges might be in college. But it certainly helps in this space, especially with the financial aid office. Um, Tara, I wonder, do you have any other sort of final pieces of advice for families as they're thinking about this particular topic? Um, yeah, okay, one, one other last thing. Let's say you get a couple of academic merit scholarships uh, and you're thinking, great, this is terrific. See what the, um, the strings are attached to those. If maybe you mm. get a full-ride scholarship, but the student has to maintain a 4.0 cumulative grade point average, that's going to be really hard. Would it be better to maybe get a, a smaller scholarship where he only has to maintain a 3.0 cumulative grade point average? Maybe he has a better shot of keeping that one for all four years, whereas with the 4.0, he might 
you know, you might be in jeopardy of losing it. So take, take a look at the whole package before you make your decision. Fantastic. That's great advice. And, and Tara, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. And folks, you should have seen how much research Tara did in advance of this <laughs> to make sure that you got great information from her. It's really fantastic. So thank you for, for keeping us all on our toes and making sure that our Related families are well informed. Um, awesome. So folks, that's all the time we have for today. Now, before we go, we can do one more check on the AQI in Portland, uh, and it's at 164. So it's still bad. It's uh, very, very bad air. So folks, when you're out uh, in the wild, especially in the West, uh, be careful with fire um, because it, it really has a long lasting impact. I know this is an admissions and financial aid podcast, but I think we can do some public service on the, on that front. All right. Nevertheless, we expect, uh, things we're going to clear out here in the weekend. We're still looking forward to some colder and rainier days ahead here in Portland. Now, next week on our show, Beth Heaton retakes the captain seat on this podcast ship with a couple of new partners to introduce to our listeners. She'll be speaking with Nick Dukoff, founder of Edmit, and we'll also welcome Mark Altman of Mindset Go to the show. And he's going to talk about all the ways that college freshmen can prepare for the interpersonal challenges of their first year on campus. Finally, finance expert Stacy Mack will join the show to talk about refunds, and we guarantee full satisfaction with this segment or your money back. Now, in the meantime, enjoy your Labor Day weekend and a last break before the full onslaught of the fall and all of the challenges that come with admissions and financial aid applications. We will be here to help you tackle the next set of challenges next week and all through the fall on Getting In. Have a great weekend. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Mm -hmm.